0: What's going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 26 of the Matt Bernier Show for Monday, August the 3rd, 2020. However, you listen to this, thank you for doing so. If you are an audio-only listener, you have Apple Podcasts, you have your Android device, you have in the money where you can find this show along with all the other offerings that In the Money Media has to offer. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you know what I'm saying. You've got the flagship show. You've got JK plus one. You've got talk racing to me with Naomi Tucker. You've got the Red Board Rewind with Spencer Lugan Buell. You've got uh, Nick Lux podcast that comes out daily over there as well. uh, A number of different programs. pieces and if i forgot someone it's not intentional but there's just a million things going on you can find it all over on inthemoneypodcast.com if you are one of the folks over on youtube that listens and watches uh thank you for doing so make sure you subscribe to the youtube channel make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get a notification anytime a new show is uploaded to the in the money channel whether it be this or horse players happy hour which is coming back this thursday I believe it's just me and PTF, but I don't know for certain, and I know we are going on with this um, pretty much right through the Breeders' Cup, so looking forward to that. It's going to be on Thursdays going forward now. Keep an eye out for that Horse Players Happy Hour. I also forgot to bring up, obviously, uh, don't forget about the Racing Picks podcast, which is also over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, so all sorts of great content for you to find and take in in your spare time. Uh, As far as this week's show is concerned, it's going to be very light on my end. Because I'm just going to run through my Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10 because it involves many of the horses we saw run this past weekend, whether it be the Whitney, whether it be the personal ensign. Um, And then not just one special guest to come on to discuss this week's Friday feature, which happens to be race number nine up at Saratoga, uh, the grade two Saratoga special for two-year-olds. Not just the winner from last week in Jack Fane. For a moment, it looked like I didn't know if I was going to be able to get in touch with Jack. So an individual who actually had won one of the first friday features peter appleby he sends me a message on twitter and he'd already made it clear and we were gonna try to figure out a way to get him on in the future anyway he goes look here you might be in a bit of a pinch if you need a help let me know so i said sure why not and then i heard from jack so the good news is for all of the listeners and all the viewers we're gonna get two opinions and we're gonna get to talk to two different folks uh, as far as this week's Friday feature is concerned but if you want to get involved and be where these folks are this week you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube it is for this Friday Saratoga race number nine it's the Saratoga special I know two-year-olds inexperienced a lot of different things going on there we're gonna get opinions both from Jack and from Peter And again, uh, looking forward to to diving into that and seeing how those guys take a look at races and how they ultimately land on the selections that they do because they've had some success here in the early runs of this Friday feature. And thank you to everybody that has gotten involved. Um, This has been, I think, a a cautiously optimistic piece. I've, I've been very, very pleased with the response and the reaction that we've got from doing these sort of things. And I hope all of you... Um, specifically, you know, enjoy listening to the way other folks go about doing things, not just hear me ramble on and on and on. So, um, I think it's a nice way to get some good interaction between myself and folks that listen and folks that watch. Um, and really when it all comes down to it, it's all of us trying to help one another a little bit, uh, further ourselves as far as this handicapping thing is concerned. So, um, questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube as always, or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. So let's get into the Breeders' Cup Classic top 10. Um, you know, I tweeted something after the Whitney was run, Improbable goes out, wins very impressively, 106 buyer. I saw some, some, not just a few, uh, uh, quite a few folks proclaiming that Improbable was the best horse in training after that race and uh, for me it uh, I don't have an issue with anyone saying that before the Whitney you thought that Improbable was the best horse in training if you did that's your opinion I think it's totally reasonable to draw that conclusion he had just won a grade one he'd only been defeated by what a neck or a head from Tom's Zeta down in that run at Oaklawn so I can understand the the case for a horse like Improbable to be sort of positioned to be the best older horse in training or the best horse in training period. But I have a difficult time using the Whitney as the reasoning for it. If you were believed prior to the Whitney, that improbable was the best I'm all in. I get it. I don't agree with that, but that's, that's what opinions are all about. I mean, everybody sees things differently, but if you felt that way before I'm all in, I like that. That's good. If you, if you, Drew that conclusion because of the Whitney, then I have a bit of an issue. I have a little bit of beef with that because how can that one race, as nice as it was, very, very nice performance, a performance that is good enough to make him a legitimate threat for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. No question about it. But how can you sit there and say that that is the single performance that that proves that he's the best when A, he wasn't the favorite in that race, The public determined that Tom's Dictat was the most likely winner of the race. And I could be wrong. Wasn't Improbable the third choice? The public also determined that Code of Honor was a more likely winner than Improbable. So clearly it wasn't, uh, there weren't a million people that were all in on him going into it. He was definitely a short price and he made all the sense in the world. Not trying to, to get around that. But if he's not the favorite in a race where many other people would view one of those two horses as the best horses in training, whether it was Code of Honor whether it was Tom Zeta, and then Tom misses the break as badly as he does, there's no pace whatsoever in the race for him to run at. Meanwhile, Improbable is sitting the candy trip of all candy trips. And I had somebody giving me grief on Twitter saying, you know, my rear end, it was a candy trip. What do you... If that's not a candy trip, I don't know what is. And that's not a... People also, from like a comprehension standpoint, me saying that is not a diss to Improbable. It's just how can you draw that conclusion based on the fact that Tom Zeta really didn't get to run his race. And if he had the opportunity to run his race and Improbable turns him away, totally fair, totally valid. Tom Zeta didn't get a chance to really run his race. Rallying from off of it after spotting the field three or four lengths out at the gate with no pace to run at. Meanwhile, improbable sits the candy trip of all candy trips. Again, if you can't see that that's a candy trip, I can't help you. That is a dream setup. Sitting off of a 25 to one shot in a five horse field, going 49 and change for a half mile. Come on now. I mean, he's supposed to go off and blow the doors off a field. I don't care who's running in it. So that's, that was my big gripe that I had. And it has nothing to do, it's not a diss to improbable. He, t- Those are the circumstances presented to him. I can say something very similar to any of these other races where you see moderate tempos and and the arguably one of, if not the best horse, sitting just off of it and taking over and, and winning for fun. I mean, that that's what, in a perfect world, you're going to get that kind of trip. It's, it has nothing to do with the fact that I, I think he's a bum or this, that, or the other thing. I mean, he's clearly a good horse. I've never been the biggest fan of him. I thought he was the best two-year-old that there was. Last year, I thought he was just a complete nut job. And guess what? He still might be a bit of a goofball. But the talent is the talent has never been a question. The talent's always been there. I just have a hard time seeing people draw the conclusion that because of this race, a race in which he was not the favorite, and I'm, I could be wrong. Somebody correct me if I am. Not only was he not the favorite, he wasn't the second choice in a five-horse field. And his main competition, Tom Zeta, gave him a a four-and-a-half-length head start off of a snail's pace for a grade one. If you thought Improbable was the best horse going into that race, again, I I give you a high-five. Air high-five because we don't want to be touching because of COVID. Yes, salute. Good. I like that. That's fine. I don't agree with it, but I like it. I like the opinion. But if you're drawing that conclusion after the Whitney when the main horse didn't get to run in his race, that to me seems silly. It seems like it's a flawed argument, a flawed logic. Now, as far as my top 10 is concerned for the Breeders' Cup, and I can touch on some of these other horses as well, I did not move Tom Zeta from one. I left him at number one because I don't think he got a fair shake in that run in the Whitney. I did move him probably way up to number two. I believe I had him somewhere in that seven range last week. Um, I thought he ran really well. I mean, look, if you think that he's going to work out trips like that going forward, yes, he's going to be difficult to deal with. But I would love to see what would have happened if Tom's D'Etat was either, if he was chasing Tom's D'Etat or Tom's Ta was sitting just off the flank of Improbable. Does the result end up playing out the same? I don't know. But I'd like to find out, especially before I go there and, and definitively say one is better than the other. I believe Tom's D'Etat was the best horse going into it. I picked By My Standards. You'll hear his name come up here in a bit. I still love By My Standards. Still think he ran a great race and still think there's room for him to have a chance. But Tom Zetai, I think, is the best horse. I moved him probable to number two. Tis the Law is at three. Maximum security. I'll move him up one. My my view on him didn't change in the matter of one week. Had more to do with one or two horses that needed to come, come down a couple pegs. Uh, Number five is By My Standards. I moved him down from number two. By My Standards... I'm sure some people are going to hear this and say, oh, well, this is because you like the horse and whatever, da-da-da-da. He may very well have proved in this race here and the race prior in Stephen Foster that he is not of the same caliber as Tom's D'Etat or Improbable. If I'm playing devil's advocate, neither of those races set up particularly well for by my standards. Now, if you want to say that in order to be a true grade one animal, you need to be able to overcome that sort of thing, um, or you need to make sure that those two horses are not lengthening on you down the lane, you know, I, I'm not really going to argue with you. You're probably right. But at the same time, I think it would be interesting to see if he could do any better. And I'm not, I don't know if he could. He, he might not be able to. Maybe he is sort of that low 100 type of, of horse from a buyer standpoint. Still a very nice racehorse. What would happen if there was some pace for him to try to make a move into? So let's let's turn the tables. Let's let's say it were Tom's D'Etat and Improbable that went out there and let's say they were going 47 and three for the opening half. And presumably, by my standards, as opposed to being in this sort of three-path chasing, which he was in this instance off of a slow pace, maybe he's four lengths off of it, saving a little bit of ground. Or maybe he is even two-three-path, whatever, whatever the difference is. What happens if those two horses start hammer and Tong, throwing it down, going into the far turn, and then a horse like by my standards potentially can make up a little bit of ground? Maybe he can't. I have no idea. But I still think he's probably better than a lot of people give him credit for. And I thought, look, he's run second in a grade two and a grade one of back-to-back starts. And he's earned triple-digit buyers in in three consecutive runs now. I think he's still a good horse. And I'm still rooting for him. Uh, Number six, I moved Tacitus up. I can understand the logic for him at a mile and a quarter. Makes all the sense in the world. Um, I still don't entirely trust him. But if that run that we saw at Belmont is what he's going to be, these other horses better have him tied on because he's going to make them earn it. Code of Honor is the, you know, I, I, a lot of people were bringing it up. What happened to Code of Honor in the run? I moved him down to seven from, I believe, three or four last week. You know, to me, this is, I get it. The met the pace for the most part held up. Any of the horses that were forwardly placed, they were the ones that did the real running. Code of Honor chased widest and rallied from off the pace, so perhaps he was compromised a little bit. Uh, there was no pace in this race either so i want to give him the benefit of the doubt at the same time he did no running at all so that's a little bit of a concern for me i can't i can't help but look at that and and wonder where we are at this point because this is he's going to need some sort of i don't know if you guys heard that that's my computer Uh oh computers yelling at me all all sorts of stuff's going on anyway hopefully you didn't hear that if you did a couple of notifications uh we are running out of time for you to be tightening the screws to be ready for the beginning of November for the Breeders' Cup. And I know that sounds silly because it's the beginning of August. But realistically, what are you going to have? One more prep? Is it going to be in the Woodward at 10 furlongs? Is it going to be in the Jockey Club at 10 furlongs? You've you got to run on one of those. I'd be stunned if you ran in both. And then you're going to have to be ready to peak down in Keeneland. I just... I, to me, he is very in. The, I don't want to put him quite in the same category as McKinsey, because I I just I don't trust McKinsey flat out right now. I don't. I need him to prove to me that he is actually the horse that he was last year, and I, I'm not I'm not convinced of that. Coat of Honor, I'm I'm starting to wonder a little bit. You know that Westchester looked awesome. Beat inferior company. Runs in the Met. Runs well. Not great, but runs well. And then this was a bit of a dud. Now again, if you are someone looking at it from a race-shaped standpoint, he had no pace to run at. Gonna be very difficult to close into those fractions against this level of animal. I'm I'm wishy-washy on code of honor at this point. Um, I, I I slid him down a little bit and I could see him continuing to slide if things don't kind of sort themselves out here pretty quick. Uh, number eight's honor AP. Now the shared belief, boy, there's a lot to unpack with the shared belief because I look at these speed figures. And uh, I believe Jay Privman put out a story where Andy Byer was even quoted saying the third place finisher, there was a little bit of pause when, what is this horse's name? Kiss Today Goodbye. I mean, you're telling me that the top four horses in that, I believe it was a four horse field, they all earned 101 buyers or better? If so, that shared belief is going to go down as one of the better mid-season three-year-old races we've seen in, in many years. The top four? all earned 100 plus buyers um i'll be very curious to see that one going forward but if you're a fan of honor ap like i am i think he's a very talented racehorse i was despite the trip or in spite of the i shouldn't even say that i'm screwing up regardless of the trip i was disappointed i expected more and i get it you want to say delmar maybe it's a little bit of a funny track you know, again, three wide throughout. Baffert, you know, thousand words on the inside. I feel like you got to do a little bit more than that. And if it was purely a means to an end, where it's we're, we just need to get a race into them, this is not the goal. We want to be ready to go for the first Saturday in September, mile and a quarter, more ground, better. It's going to be a much tighter version. I, I get the logic. And I'm not even going to try to dispute it. My own personal feeling is I wanted to see a little bit more than what we did see there. The good news is uh, he still looks great. And I would venture a guess he will take a step forward. If for some reason he runs a complete dud in the derby, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they they took their, their, their foot off the pedal and gave him a little bit of time. But I... I'm not ready to write him off after that. I would have liked to have seen more, and I'm very skeptical that all of those horses ran 100-plus buyers. That seems highly unlikely, but you never know. It's totally possible. Uh, I left Uncle Chuck in at number nine. I'm very anxious to see what we get from him on Saturday versus his, the law. I know there are other good horses that are scheduled to run in the Travers, but I mean, it's... It's those two and then everyone else. And if you want to pick an upsetter, I I, I might. Who knows? We'll see what the field looks like when it comes out. But all around, I think Uncle Chuck, I still believe in him. I think the talent is immense. And I think he has a big chance to make his presence felt here down the road. And number 10, I did not take her out. I left Midnight Sue in for a few reasons. I still, maybe I missed a a post-race quote from the personal ensign. I still don't know what race they're targeting. But she's as good as anyone to fill in with this number 10 slot. She did not win the personal ensign. Vexatious did. If you'll remember, I made a comment about Monomoy Girl and the fig that she earned. And I said, you're telling me in start number 26 or whatever it was that Vexatious ran the best race of her life? (sighs) Maybe she did. And maybe she ran an even better one up at Saratoga in the personal ensign. You know, if all of a sudden Vexatious is a 105 kind of horse, I mean, she's going to be a, a player in the Breeders' Cup. Whether Bisu runs in the distaff or not, whether Monomoy Girl runs in the distaff or not, whoever shows up there. I mean, if, if vexatious is a triple digit plus, and in some instances like this, a 105, I mean, yeah, she's going to be among the favorites for the race. I, you know, I think it's a fun division. I think it's wide open. I don't know. The, I'm talking about the distaff. I don't know who's going to end up going where, but it's a fun group to look at, and I think the Kentucky Oaks is only going to make it that much more intriguing. Because I do think there's plenty of talent in that three-year-old girl division. So, um, you know, again, I, I left Bisou here. You could easily put in Art Collector. You could put it in Ben Battle. You could have put it in a number of different horses. And let me know beneath the video player on YouTube, what is your top ten for the Breeders' Cup Classic right now? And I get it. A lot of people, you know, those, those you know, those, those old farts. No, I shouldn't say old farts. But the No Fun Gang. They, oh, what difference does it make? It's a list uh, two, three months out from the race. It's for fun. It's for fun. Something to talk about. Jeez. Have fun. For once in your life. Something that we can all just BS back and forth about, huh? Let me know. Top 10. Breeders' Cup Classic. Beneath the video player here on YouTube. For me, Tom's Day and Improbable. Tis the law. Maximum security. By my standards. Tacitus. Code of Honor. Honor AP. Uncle Chuck. Midnight b suit. Now, let's get into the two interviews this week. We're going to go right back to back. We're going to start off with Peter Appleby. And we're going over the Friday feature for this week. Race number nine, Saratoga race course. Two-year-olds in the grade two Saratoga special. We're going to hear from Peter Appleby. And then we're going to roll right in to Jack Fane's interview. First of two guests this week. It's a special. It's a two-for-one kind of episode. Peter Appleby was actually one of the first winners of the Friday feature and we just, you know, look, I, I got to take the blame for that because I wasn't very clear as far as what the sort of tiebreakers or the the breakdown would be about how do we find out what happens if nobody picks the winner, who picks second and all that jazz. So I screwed that part up, but Peter was kind enough to extend a extend a helping hand when I thought we might be a little bit tight this week and maybe I wouldn't be able to contact jack peter sent me a, a direct message on twitter and he said hey look if you need a hand i'm here so peter appleby thank you for the assist and, and like i said for all the listeners and viewers it's a two for one this week how are you
1: i'm very good it's called an exacta
0: that's it it's an exacta, a daily double however you want to spit it you go. peter a little bit of background on yourself uh where are you from how did you get involved in the
1: game those sort of things uh i am uh, born and raised and still live in delmar not that delmar Delmar, New York. Okay, uh, outside of Albany, so I'm a Capital District person, and uh, like a lot of people here in the Capital District, uh, Saratoga is uh, a little bit of heaven, and it's home uh, every summer now for eight weekends, except for this year when it's a TV show.
0: Now, as far as your overall sort of playing is concerned, are you just by default a fan of New York racing or do you kind of, are you willing to expand your horizons and do you look in California, Florida, Kentucky, or are you just predominantly a Naira player?
1: I'm pretty much a Naira player all the time. Um, although I did have an affair with Tampa Bay Downs this spring, um, as did a lot of people.
0: And I'll tell you what, Tampa is one of those, I, I'll never forget, I remember Andy Byer saying one time that he, he loves, the meet down at tampa bay downs going and i think it starts maybe around thanksgiving somewhere thereabouts yep. and goes right through and for one, my last year at the racing form i dove deep into it and it's if you can get a good feel for the track it's a fantastic opportunity the problem is you know from whatever reason look i've had a pretty crummy year all around from a gambling standpoint but this year i just got absolutely torched you can see giant prices left and right but you can also get some some pretty logical horses that'll end up paying some decent prices what led you to tampa as opposed to maybe a gulf stream or somewhere else
1: it's a good question i don't know um certainly a lot of the new york connections i mainly am a new york player um are at gulf stream and uh you know, we were locked in the house for weeks signed in and Tampa was running some of those off days. And I said, oh, let's pay attention to Tampa here a bit. They got some Finger Lakes shockies there. Uh, so some New York folks go down there. Um, and then you did have a fair amount of grass horses shipping over, the big barn shipping horses over from uh, from Gulfstream because the turf course is so well regarded at Tampa. So you did have a, a fair mix of stuff. And, um, and then I looked a little bit more into the place. The, the, the physical plant looks like a pretty nice uh, little track. And uh, if we ever get uh, out of the mess we're in, I I'm, I got a trip planned with my track buddies. We're going down for a weekend if uh, if we if we can do that next winter.
0: Tampa is a lovely little track. I've had the the been fortunate enough to go down a few times, and it's by no means a big facility, but it. it you know bigger is not always better it doesn't have to be some monstrosity to go out there and have a good time it's it's always been fun as far as being able to go out there and there's your handful of you know standard rail birds and then you go over to kind of their little OTB section where they've got all the betting terminals and that's always a, a crowded group and then you can always just shoot upstairs Either before or after, and play cards, and I believe there's a there's even a driving range out at the golf course, which is right or at the golf course of the uh, racetrack, which is right up my alley. But yeah. yeah, definitely would encourage anyone if you're considering a trip to Oldsmar, go ahead and do it. It's a good time for sure. As far as your sort of background is concerned, did you did you grow up interested in the horses? Were you introduced to it uh, kind of organically? How did that whole thing come about?
1: Well, when you live in this area. Saratoga is basically our pro sports team. You know, we're a secondary market. We have minor league teams here. Um, But Saratoga is the major leagues, right? Um, And so it's always around you. Uh, I didn't go as a kid. Uh, My parents would go. That was back when it was a a four-week, you know, 24-day meet in the old days. Um, And that was uh, for adults, not for kids. So I didn't attend a track until I was 18 and uh, could put a bed in myself um started going with friends um you know one of the things about about playing is when you don't have much money you either lose it real quick or you get real sharp in a hurry
0: there's usually uh, no in between it's usually one of those things where you get beat up so quick that you don't want to come back or you have a little bit of success early on i was fortunate enough to have a little bit of early success and probably it made me a little overconfident and mm-hmm. pretty soon you realize it's, it's, it ain't that easy you, you know, if it were that easy,
1: everybody would be doing it. Right. We, we made $4 an hour scooping ice cream back in the 1980s and you play a $2 exacta, That was an hour of work. Yeah. Gross. Not even net. Um, and we'd miss a race. We were mainly exacta players. And we'd say, you know, if you didn't hit the first four races, that was more than what you had made the night before working, uh, in college. And, uh, you know, we'd look at, that's another that's another hour, that's another hour, we gotta hit something here. So um, that was my start in, in, in attending and we would go sometimes, it wasn't until I got a, bit, a little bit older, um, into my late 20s and my 30s where the light bulb really went off. Um, just the, the town's fantastic. Uh, I live about 45 minutes away from there, um, started going on a, on a much more regular basis. Um, in terms of horses, um the easy goer Preakness um I was an easy goer fan and was sadly losing that day um that's a good lesson to, to, to learn uh, early on but just the excitement of that race I mean that stretch duel is legendary for a reason um and it grabbed me uh and uh it marinated for a long time and I would go and I'd pay attention. Eventually it was like, wait a second, this is the best track in North America. This might be the best, you know, yeah. when, when you yeah. grow up down the street from Yankee stadium, you probably think, well, that's Yankee stadium. We go there all the time, whatever, you know. Um. And a lot of people, it dawns on as you, get a bit older, what's, what's actually in front of you.
0: I think it is one of those things that with time you grow to really understand how, I don't want to say spoiled, but how fortunate being in that sort of area you are. I mean, me, I grew up in Western Massachusetts and everyone just all automatically assumed that Suffolk was the closest track to me. When in reality, Saratoga was. And Saratoga was the first track that I ever went to. And, and to your point, for anyone that's familiar with this, when you get off, I don't know if it's not 87 technically, I don't know what, what highway it is. But when you get off and you're right there on Union and all of a sudden it opens up and you just you see the grandstand. It's almost like one of those, like the aha moment of like, this is unbelievable. It's it's so beautiful, and it's a shame that we can't all be up there this year. Hopefully, everything will go back to some sort of reasonable standard, and we can get back out there in, in good order next year. As far as this race is concerned on Friday afternoon, again, I know I didn't do you any favors by giving you, you know, horses that are well-established and have gone out and proven themselves in the afternoons. Race number nine, six furlongs, the grade two Saratoga Special. You only have two horses who have defeated winners at this point. You only have two horses that have even faced winners. One of them happens to be a graded stakes winner in Casadero for Asmussen and Ricardo Santana. He looks like he could be a little bit of anything. And Peter, I had said to you at the top when we came on, this is legitimately the first time I'm looking at the race, other than when I picked it out and saw it was a big full field. So all of the Mm. weight for the listeners and viewers is on you and Jack this week. So please, however, how would you typically start going through a two-year-old race like this and show the folks who happen to be watching on YouTube the notes that you have prepared? Yeah, buddy.
1: (laughs) I promise not to read them.
0: As long as you can make heads or tails of it and give us a little bit of, you know, a little insight here and there with these sort of races, where do you typically start off?
1: Well, you know, in a two-year-old race like this, in Saratoga, amongst everything else, is known for great two-year-old racing. So even this year, with the pause we had in New York racing, this is a really classic Saratoga two-year-old race. Full field of eleven. You have obviously they're all winners. They've won early in their first or second start. Um, all but one are a special weight winner. One's a statebred special weight winner. And one's a one's a claiming winner. Um, Above the 11 horses, they last ran at six different tracks. Goldstream, Monmouth, Saratoga, Belmont, Churchill, Keeneland. Good luck to you handicapping the race, (laughs) right? Two-year-olds, mostly pretty well-meant horses. They're precocious. They've won early. Um, And so for me, you're looking at a couple of things. Um, Speed figures matter. Some of these uh, are uh, a significant step below. Others um, are, the, are the connections connections that win with two year olds. It's a specialty. Um, some trainers are very good at winning early. Wesley Ward is probably most well known for winning early. Typically that spring Keeneland meet that didn't happen this year, it happened in July. Um, he's known for dominating those early races. He wins a lot of the two year old races at Belmont that they have in the spring. Um, And then some barns who are great barns are not known for two-year-old machines. Um, And so that certainly plays into it. Um, This is a stakes race. Do the connections win stake races? Mm -hmm. Do they know how to get horses ready for this top level of competition? You know, it's a grade two. Um, Lots of barns win lots of races, but do they win these types of races? Um, And some don't. Um, Is the horse's breeding uh, right for the condition? Do I have something bred long for the turf? Um, And they're trying it here because uh, what the heck, we'll take a a swing. Uh, And then, you know, the barns, Um, is there a hot trainer? Is there a hot jockey? Is there a cold jockey or trainer? We have a Clement horse here. He is leading the training standard standings right now at Saratoga. And you could have gotten pretty good odds on, uh, I think we're 14 days into the meet that uh, Chad Brown would be fourth in the training standings and Christophe Clement would be first. Um, so that certainly plays in. You're, you're not operating uh, in a vacuum. Um, and I try to you know, put all that together. Um, in this case, um, I, I did look at uh, replays of these races uh, last night after we talked, um, just to see if there was something else that wasn't showing up uh, on the form. I'm a DRF classic PP guy, yep. uh, that, that's what I use. I will also use um, some of the time form information, particularly the work David Aragona does Mm -hmm. uh, with Naira and time form. It's a different way of looking at it uh, than I'm used to. So it's nice to have a a different lens on something. For sure. Uh, And I I will use that uh, as well. And then here locally, we have capital OTB and during the Saratoga season, as you know, um, every day Saratoga is running, they have like four hours of handicapping on every morning. So it's uh, we're spoiled here. We're was, very spoiled. I was going
0: to say you're gonna you have I think specifically in that like you say that that capital region of New York you get the benefit of having sort of a, a, just a plethora of of information and I've always maintained that rather than just stick by what one person says a it should just be your opinion that matters more than anyone else's but if you are taking into consideration outside sources. Don't just listen to one person and say, that's the only person I'm going to listen to. Listen to four or five. Just try to take it all in. And as my buddy Michael Baychok has pointed out to me years and years ago, when I was first really kind of cutting my teeth, he said, it's basically a big gumbo and you got to throw it all in there and you got to stir it together and whatever comes out is what comes out. And you hope that it tastes good today as opposed to taste bad. And in instances like this i think it is it's just one of those things where you cultivate as much information as you can from sources that you trust and you enjoy and you believe in and you just try to synthesize that as well as you possibly can and you guys are very fortunate to have the capital otb folks and you brought up david aragona uh obviously mike beer andy serling up there uh, anthony stabile everyone that's involved with sort of the new york circuit does a tremendous job nick Tamaro, i'd be remiss if i didn't mention nick's name um, going back to some of the pieces that you brought up here with the two-year-olds, I, am curious because, you know, I kind of go back and forth with it a little bit. I see some beautiful pedigrees and then I see some pedigrees that, mm, you know, as far as the sort of, I don't want to say the, the blue collar or the, the, the white collar rather the, you know, the, the, the royally regally bred types, you have these horses that they're probably a little bit more modest as far as breeding is concerned, but they're fast right now. At what point do you outweigh one or the other in a situation like this? I can speak for myself first. I look at these races, and I, I, can, I tend to earmark certain horses and go, maybe not here. To your point, you bring up whether it's a turf pedigree, going long, whatever the case may be. The pedigree may be there to suggest the horse is going to turn into something much better down the road with distance and experience. But in some of these instances early on, I mean, I you know, precociousness and, and flat out, can you run fast? 'Cause that's pretty important at this stage in their careers.
1: Correct. Yeah, I think when you're seeing a typical two year old maiden special weight and they haven't had any starts or one has had a start, I think you're leaning more on breeding and connections there. What did they pay for the horse? Oh, they paid five hundred thousand for the horse. It's a Chad Brown Clarovich. Okay, circle that one. Um, you know, some stuff like that is somewhat obvious. When they've run a time or two, um, they start to stand on their own. Um, I think breeding is less important um, once they've run, because like you've said, you have plenty plenty of horses that were modestly bred uh, and, uh, you know, won the Derby. Um, and then there are plenty of horses people paid millions for and they couldn't get to the track or couldn't get out of the gate. Okay, yeah. so I, I, here, I, I rely less on breeding for a race like this because um, they've all run and a couple of them have run more than once. You've got something to work with. They've got a bit of a record you can look at. Um, and so I wouldn't you know I wouldn't weigh the breeding you know as much. Uh,
0: you know, just my opinion as well, you take a look at the, I kind of break it up and say you you typically have three two-year old marquee stakes races for Saratoga, obviously. You've got the Sanford typically at the beginning of the meeting. You have this race kind of in the middle, and then you've got the big one. you've got the hopeful at the end right or wrong i feel like the saratoga special usually is the one that kind of slips through the cracks mainly because everybody wants to be ready to go opening weekend and obviously the hopeful is kind of the end game for these two-year-olds but at the same time we have seen a number of really really classy horses over the past few years come through the saratoga special i believe the exaggerator won the saratoga special a few years ago and we know what he turned into ultimately um as far as this year's run goes these look like some pretty fast two-year-olds based on depending on what figures you look at but i'm looking at multiple speed figures and it would suggest that this is a pretty good group i agree
1: this is a grade one field for two-year-olds
0: at this point absolutely i mean you have the experienced horses and you brought it up a horse like a casadero who's already a graded stakes winner he's already shown the versatility to win on, albeit on a softish lead out there forward, not setting you know the world on fire fractionally, but then he came from off of it just as nicely. Goes off and wins professionally You've got a horse like the ride of a lifetime for Nacho correas who highly underrated barn in my opinion. He is as good as anyone. He doesn't have the stock that many of these other barns do, but boy, he can get when they get good, they stay good. This horse ran a hole in the wind down at Keeneland, albeit in gate-to-wire fashion. Now you're probably going to have to deal with some other sort of speed situation. And then on the flip side, you look at some of these other runners, you look at a horse like Garoppolo, who may be a little bit on the slower side for Kelly Breen, but again, has shown the ability to sit off and still be effective and go and get it done. Ultimately, where where was your sort of eye going? Who were you most intrigued with in this race?
1: Well, to me, there was a, there was a break in the race. Um, there's kind of pretenders, and contenders. Um, and there are, I, I think, five here that kind of stand out if you're going to say, okay, who has got a reasonable chance to win this race? Mm-hmm. They all draw on the outside. Casadero, Momos, right ride of, ride of all time. Oh, sorry, right of all lifetime. <laughs> uh, Jackie's Warrior and Roderick. I mean, I think those those five kind of stand out. Well, I will say Garoppolo for Kelly Breen, who will be a big price in here, the running line doesn't mention this, but when you watch the replay of that race, the horse was coming pretty well and had the lead and bore out repeatedly. And is had a fight him. He went out to about the 10th path at about the eighth pole. And he kept fighting him back, fighting him back. And so if that horse runs more professionally, that buyer could jump up 20 points. Um, that's not my pick. I'm not that brave. Although Kelly Green, he's also very underrated. It's also interesting that Green, both the three and the five, they look like they're working together and they're both working at Saratoga. Kelly's mainly based at Monmouth, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. He's aimed a couple of horses up here um, after both maiden wins, but the better horses I do think draw on the outside here. Um, Roderick is a, a $550,000 purchase and, and one first time out for Wesley Ward. Um, what's interesting about that horse is that horse shipped back to Keeneland after winning at Belmont and has not come back to Saratoga yet. It's also cross-ended in the best pal stakes on Friday at Del Mar. Now I saw public comments um, from Ward saying that his goal and his aim is the hopeful. So my assumption is he will run here just off of those comments from a couple of days ago. Um, but it also tells me this is not what he's aiming at. He's aiming at the hopeful, which is uh, in four weeks. So I'm not so sure he's gonna be cranked fully and he worked him out. Uh, we're talking on August 3rd on Monday you walked him out yesterday at Keeneland. and has him entered in a race on Friday. To me, that's like, wait, you've got a string at Saratoga. It's not like you're shipping in from somewhere you don't have barn space. You're running a grade two. I, I'm not so sure he's going to have him turned all the way. Um, he, he's looking for the hopeful, and this is, we'll, we'll see what he does. Um, So while that horse certainly has plenty of class and talent and ability, I wonder about how well meant he is in in this spot. Um, The the one I landed on, um, which is not the bravest pick in the world, is is six, Casadero. Um, Number seven, Momos is also a very talented horse and won very easily over the track already. He's the only horse that has run at Saratoga so far and won in hand very easily for the Clement Barn, which is just tearing up the place. Clon publicly said, again, his aim is the hopeful. He has not had a public work since winning that race on July 18th. It's a bit of a quick turnaround in today's terms mm-hmm. to come back in about three weeks with a horse like this. Clamon said, well, I could train him up to the hopeful or I could run him here. I guess we'll run him here. Not exactly a great vote of confidence that this horse is primed. and ready to go. It's a free shot for him. If he wins, great. It's a paid workout. You cash a big check. You're a grade two winner and up to the the hopeful we go, but I don't think he's all that well meant here. So I think two of the, of of the main horses here that will take a lot of money, I don't think are particularly well meant here. Um, The nine uh, did, did run a hole in the wind. uh, His last time out of Keeneland. He's going to have to improve again off of that to win this. I'm looking at the ROI on two-year-olds and the ROI on, on uh, stakes racing for that barn and, I'll go a different direction. Totally fair. If he beats me, he beats me. Um, you know, he's got Jose Ortiz up and Lord knows he can win races. Um, but that's the type of horse that, that's going to beat me. He also has not yet shipped to Saratoga. He's running down at Keeneland. He's been, been training there. Um, to me, with a two-year-old, not to shift him in ahead of time. And maybe he'll have a breeze over the track today or tomorrow. It just doesn't show him the PP yet. But as of today, I think like... You're running in a Grade Two stakes. You think you could ship in? Yeah. Um, ahead of time, you think you'd want to ship in? And the trainers regularly say how much the horses like being at Saratoga. It's a very relaxing environment for horses. It's a great environment. The longer they're there, the more they thrive. So when a horse, you know, doesn't ship in uh by the Saturday before the race, Sunday before the race, I, I, I kind of question their intent and in how ready the horse is going to be ready to go. But maybe he'll win for win for fun. He certainly is talented. But to have to step up again in the third start, I I, I discount that. So that leaves me with the uh, two Aspin horses. Um, as I said, I, I landed on six, largely because the ride that uh, Ricardo Santana gave him in that second the second race where he won the stakes race at Churchill, it was such a patient ride. He let the, he broke, others broke faster. He let the horse settle, take kickback, get inside of a couple of horses get used to it. The horse was very relaxed and running. They turned for home. He says, okay, here we go. We tip out. We go. Goodbye, everybody. We win. Um, that is not something you see in a two-year-old that often. And the horse looks so relaxed doing. Also, Santana gets first call um, for Asmussen, and he rode both of these horses, both Jackie's Warrior and Casadero last time, he took Cazadero. I'll take the I'll, I'll take the uh, the cue from him. Um, Aspinson wins two-year-old races. He wins the stakes races. This horse is off of a, a six-week layoff. He's he's been working at Saratoga. He's been working well and consistently at Saratoga. Aspinson's run this race five times. Um, he likes to win this race. There are some trainers for races. He's got two here. Frankly, those two are my exact. I would go Cazadero, Jackie's Warrior, with Casadero on top.
0: I like the I love the analysis and, and the way that you went about sort of looking at it. And I think that's something that a lot of folks may sort of underestimate or, or, or underappreciate. What is the ultimate goal? And, and specifically, when you brought up the Clamont entrant in here, to your point, we have no published works since that victory. And the idea of why not just use it as basically a workout if the horse is good enough to win? then look i mean that that's all the that's all well and good that's fine but at the end of the day if he gets a little bit more experience and if the goal is to go a little bit longer to get that grade one at the end of the meeting i i think it's a it's an old school move i i love it i feel mm-hmm. like more barns should be doing that sort of thing as opposed to just train them train them train them and run them four or five times over the course of the year yeah. but again to each their own you know i'm not the one paying the bills so if the owners want to do it that way the owners want to do it that way along with the trainer but i think intent goes a long way is this necessarily the goal for momos No, it doesn't sound like that whatsoever. Meanwhile, to your point, you've had the Aspison horses up at Saratoga. This is a perfect spacing, I would say, for a horse like Casadero, where we haven't seen him in the afternoon since the end of June. He should be sitting on go for a spot like this, get another graded stakes victory, and then they can kind of bide their time and wait and choose what they want to do. Do you want to wait? Do you want to run him in the hopeful? Or do you want to sit back and say, you know what? Maybe we want a little bit more ground. We can try the grade one champagne. We can try to get two turns into him at one of these other tracks leading into a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Because, look, if he were to win this race with two graded stakes wins under his belt already, I think you couldn't help but suggest that he's the leader as far as the two-year-old champion, the juvenile champion honors are concerned. And I think that is something that you need to factor in at this point. With his pedigree, with his connections, and you also bring up a very astute point that Santana rode both of the Asperson horses in their starts thus far. They've combined made three of them. They're all victories. Two of them from Casadero, one from the other horse, Jackie's Warrior. For him to stay aboard Casadero, I think that is a vote of confidence. Having said that, you don't really lose a ton with Joel Rosario picking up the mount on the other Asmussen. Um, I love the the logic that you use and the way that you laid this out. So Peter Appleby, for you in the Friday feature, this week, race number nine, the grade two Saratoga special. Your selection officially is...
1: Number six, Casadero.
0: Number six Casadero, but it's a six ten exacta for Peter in the ninth at Saratoga. Any other horses you would consider using underneath if somebody's looking for an exacta or a try? Maybe somebody else to kind of spice things up.
1: I, I would use I would use one of the two Kelly Breen horses for a price underneath if you're trying to hit hit a triple or a super. I mentioned Grappolo, bore out very badly. Um, he could improve a lot. And then while he only went four and a half um, picking time, that horse was inside horses the whole way and got through on the rail and kept going. Um, that's unusual in, in a first-time starter, two-year-old. That was going from four and a half to six. But uh gets Castellano, not too bad.
0: Peter Appleby, thank you so much. Where can folks follow you on Twitter?
1: At PeterRabbit68, one
0: R. Perfect. Peter Appleby, thank you again so much. He likes the number six. Casadero, We will now find out who Jack likes in this week's Friday feature. Peter, thank you again. Good luck this week. Thank you. All right, so we heard from Peter Appleby, who was a former winner, and again, I'll take the blame for not having all the rules really ironed out at that point. This week's winner is here right now. This is Jack Fain. Jack was one of the folks who correctly selected the winner from last week's Friday feature, and again, if you, if you missed it, somehow. I said it before we talked to Peter, while we're talking to Peter, and now we're going to talk to Jack about it. It's the ninth at Saratoga this week, the Saratoga special, two-year-olds, six furlongs, grade Two. First things first. Jack, thank you for doing this. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, Matt. It's a joy to be with you. It's a great show. I love the creative idea of the contest, bringing a raw outsider, unheard voice in the mix. and It's a lot of fun. It's like Looking forward to betting on the weekend, a big feature down the road.
0: Yeah, and and really, I've been encouraged by the sort of feedback that we've heard so far. It seems like people are enjoying this, and I said it when I first started it, but without all of you, the listeners, the viewers, however you take this thing in, without you guys all getting involved, it really doesn't work. So really, the kudos go to all of you. Um, A little bit of background on yourself. How did you get involved? What's sort of your situation? Where are you living? Where are you based? All that kind of jazz.
2: Uh, I'm in uh, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, so I hit all the, the ones around, uh, It goes all the way back. I'm an old geezer, Matt. It goes back to Jefferson Downs in Kenner, Louisiana, way before your time, a little bull ring, about 800 foot stretch. And a lot of horses would draft them in yarlings Fairgrounds into Jefferson Downs. But you got Delta way up in Denton, Louisiana, uh, super derby became a big trip for me every year when it used to run for 500000 when it first started. If you can believe that. And great jockeys in my era. Randy Romero, began at Evangeline Downs and the old Evangeline Downs and Karen Pro, Louisiana. And had the great Eddie De La Husay, Angelo Trosquare, Jack Van Big names at the fairgrounds during all those years. So they all got me going. And I'll tell you how I actually got started real quick. I had a, I came back from California on a failed college mission out there with uncle and some relatives, and it didn't pan out. Made it my way back home. My aunt insisted I take a summer job at her office building, pushing mail. Of course, I was a mailroom jockey. How you like that? No <laughs> pun intended. And uh, I got whipped around pretty good myself with, with the mail and, and making coffee and pushing a mop, you name it, for minimum wage. Minimum wage was $2.10 an hour back then, and when I got that first check, first check I'd ever gotten in my whole life, it was cleared about $156. I don't need to tell you the rest of the story. (laughs) My best friend in life still today, his uncle and aunt relatives would take them off into the fairgrounds in New Orleans, Evangeline Downs. I cashed that check so fast, Matt, put it in my pocket. Went to Evangeline Down, having the time of my life, drinking and eating some of the best food. The old Evangeline at that time was like a carnival fair atmosphere. So everybody seemed to know everybody. It was just a wonderful conglomerate of uh, circus type atmosphere. And I I had heard of Randy Romero just subconsciously, you know, he, he was the big gun around there at the time. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, here comes this gray horse, a field of eight. The grade just jumped out at me. I've always kind of had a knack and an eye for the physical embellishment of a horse. So I sort of caught the smooth warm-up and the movement and the post-parade. Knew nothing about odds, oh, betting anything. All I knew was one-place show. I put the two, I put 200 bucks to show. The horse paid $8 to show. That ticket clerk gives me eight $100 bills. Man, I swear to <laughs> God, i never seen a $100 bill. In my entire life, much less had one in my possession, I got eight of them, and the guy doesn't take any taxes, and he doesn't say a word to me. You know, have a nice day. That was it, brother. That was it. I I got that gold mine streak in my mind that I could beat the game. Of course, 50-something years later, you know, I'm hitting the ATM. (laughs) But that's how I got started. Beginner's luck, same old story
0: isn't it always that way for the most part when you really think about it i mean i, I was talking with, with peter earlier and, and now you know you bring up your your story and the way that you got involved doesn't it always feel like if if you started off on the wrong foot you probably wouldn't have really oh, even entertained I, I, it i don't think
2: i've gone back Matt. i might ask because i i was kind of caught up in the atmosphere and the colors and the trajectory of it all but uh... No, it was that money, brother. It, it was that money, and it was fun. It was, it was very exciting, very. So you put those two together, and you know you couldn't wait to go back.
0: It is one of those. It's and then, one as of those... you
2: start learning, you start progressing and learning how to handicap a little bit. Well, it is the ultimate task it just you never stop learning, and well, you will. Know? Well,
0: and that's the big piece with with a game like ours. And I'm not suggesting it's not like that if you're betting on football or basketball or or any of the other major sports, but. It feels like with ours, and again, I haven't been in it for for a, a tremendously long time, but I have already seen a pretty dramatic shift from when I started to where it is now as far Everything. as the process and things like that. Everything. So I can totally understand, you know, from the time prior to the OTB or prior to the, the ADW where you're playing at home on your computer to now seeing where we are with these, these giant computer sort of, groupings these people they all get together pool their money and they oh, yeah. just crush these different pools yeah, at absolutely. different tracks absolutely. you know it's it's fascinating to see sort of the trajectory and the way that things have moved it's all gone the way of, of data and it's but there is still that piece and i'm glad you brought it up because i'm curious what was it about I, i'm trying to think of the right way to sort of phrase this how did you realize that you had a good eye for sort of the horse's themselves whether it be in the warm-up or in the paddock or anything like that because i have i've said it before and i'll say it again i i mean i i, I couldn't tell a horse's head from a horse's ass other than what <laughs> I, I know
2: i've heard you say that on I, you things. know it's
0: just one of those things where i can i can, I can a, tell when they're a mess but how, how what is it about that, what is it that you see i that think
2: it's a niche just a niche okay. uh, something came natural to me for instance that day on that race that particular horse just just had a methodical move, as though he's very calm, very comfortable, the demeanor, the body matched the mind, if you will. Where the other horses were leaning on the stable pony, and you know that's usually a no-no, kind of skittish, kind of east and west in their warm-ups and stutter-stepping and whatnot, so, yeah, that horse ended up winning by eight lengths. you know, I could have made about 3000 if I had to go. They would have yeah, had to carry I out of there at my that age point. I you know. I I, I, I <laughs> had pulled the cat thief on that one. I was long gone. <laughs>
0: you, know, you know, you you bring up though, and it is one of those things. Uh, I had someone who I respect her opinion, especially when it comes to the horse flesh and that side of things. Uh, Gabby Gaud- Gabby Gaudet one time told me, head on pony, it's never a good thing. Never a good yeah. thing when when the, when
2: yeah, the okay. horse is
0: going out and leaning all over the the, uh, the pony going yeah, out there. Yeah. Never a
2: good thing. So I've always really, had that in the back know, of my head. If you watch the post carefully in the Whitney Saturday, who stood out? It uh, Improbable stood out to me. He was on his toes. It, his body was in rhythm, shiny coat. This horse was dead fit and ready to go. And I knew I read Artis, but, you know, if he got on the gun and got him swatted properly, they, the others could just forget it. First times he had tied out a poor break. What a horse to run down third the way he did. But uh, we're going to have a bang-up Breeders' Cup, brother. It's going to take more than looking at horse flesh on this one. We're going to really match it all up to Keeneland, the surface. I'm a big believer in the surface, the the circumference of the layout. Also, I'm a big believer. I don't know if you ever heard of Dick Girardi.
0: Oh, I love Dick. He was great,
2: great guy. a Dick, years ago, the greatest tip I've ever heard in my life. He said most, most people's vision airs in the mid-level up on a horse. They want to look at the jockey. They want to look at the ears. They want to look at the horse's head movement. Dick said, get your focus on the ground. Look at the way the hooves are plowing into the dirt or the turf, or whatever. Look at the stride factor. Is that horse pedaling 900 miles an hour to get a length and a half? Or is he like Honor AP, taking a couple strides and chewing up five lengths? Ever since that, met it's even hard for me to do today, and that was 20, 30 years ago he gave that advice. Because I still, the natural tendency is to humanly want to look up. You sure. want to see the jockey's movies, the whip, the whole caricature. But uh, look at that stride factor, man. I'm telling you, if I could give you any tip on my 53 years of play, get your focus on the ground. Watch the stride, watch the hooves, watch the movement, the lead chain. All that is a monster factor as far as I'm concerned.
0: I've been fortunate enough to chat with Dick Girardi a few times, and I'll never forget we were at the Preakness together. Uh, I was still working with the racing form, obviously, when American Pharaoh was running for the Triple Crown, and Dick and I were on DRF Live when we were still doing that, and he laid out the case for American Pharaoh and the fact that the Kentucky Derby was the tightener, the race that he needed, in order to get to peak fitness and the fact that he won in spite of being not really a hundred percent fit because he had that such an abbreviated campaign early on as a three-year-old because of his foot issues that the derby was actually the race that was going to get him dead fit and you were going to really see him take steps forward in the preakness and the belmont and sure enough i i mean it, it played out very much that way and i'll mm. never ever forget that And I mean, look, Dick Girardi has a laundry list of accomplishments and accolades to his name, but that putting it in context like that, I'd never really thought of it or considered that. You know what? Despite the fact that the Derby really was the goal, he still probably wasn't entirely fit. The trainer, Bob Baffert may have thought he was 100% ready to go. But when push comes to shove, the horses still need to get out there and and play. It's no different than human athletes where you think you're ready to go for week one of the NFL season or college football. You still need to get out there and play and kind of of tighten it up, you know? So yeah. I'll never, ever forget that. And, and again, Dick Girardi, a, a fantastic writer, great handicapper. He won a boatload of cash in one of these tournaments not too long ago. It uh, might have been the Gulfstream Park Pegasus uh, ch- Challenge. I'm not entirely sure, but um, definitely a, an accomplished player in his own right. Let's get to the Friday feature here, Jack, because I, yeah. I found this fascinating. I, you know, I brought it up when chatting with Peter that I, I've done as minimal and little work as really possible without actually just seeing the pps what's wrong with you take the week off had some stuff going on this my
2: boss used to say what are you doing what are you on vacation
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you know i take those saturday and sundays i try to take a little breather and then all of a sudden it pops up and before you know it here we are casadero is a horse who looks the part He has done some good things for asmussen early on there are some horses that are i mean look we're dealing with two-year-olds very inexperienced horses uh with the exception of the two horses who have taken on and defeated winners already everyone else is taking on winners for the first time so there are a number of angles and pieces but you told me that you've got an opinion that you like and it's going to be a pretty solid number what are we looking at
2: well you just blew my opinion out of the water it's casadero okay six. i mean look at it matt uh Steve Asmussen's very good. I think he's getting better and better on the dirt, and, and he's getting some really good quality stock these days. They're, they're starting to ship more uh, youthful horses to him. Stone Street, you know, they picked their spots. So, uh, you know, and you're coming out of street sense. Uh, you've got to believe the two at Churchill gave him tremendous conditioning. What I like is the explosiveness. He he, look at the... He steps up immediately from five to six. He lays down a 21-1. He's right in the pocket, right on the slot. Looks like he could have taken him anytime he wanted. And, and I believe that four and three quarter of uh, pull away was uh probably a bit shallow. He probably can could could have opened that up to six or so. So I love the conditioning out of Churchill Downs. I also like the fact, of course, uh Santana jumped off of uh Asmussen's other play, the Ten Jackies Warrior, who came firing out of there as well, ran a bang up five for a long race at Churchill. And uh I don't think Santana's playing. I've been high on him all year. You know, you always got one jockey that just seems to, to catch fire every year and really make a name. And I've already said anything this guy's on in the Breeders' Cup, I'm I'm busting out my cousin's dingy <laughs> tank and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it. out. So yeah, I'm I mean I can talk a little bit about a couple of others. Uh you know, there's tons of speed. So i I don't like to get caught up in a in a blockbuster speed deal. I, I think they're gonna kill one or another off at six furlongs, even though Saratoga's playing somewhat biased if you ask me. It's deep inside. Little speed on the one, um uh, how do you pronounce that? Pepito? Oh, yeah,
0: I would say Pepito. Um,
2: but he's going to have a tough time hooking the rail and holding up. He's going to be you. I guess the main fear is Irad Ortiz way out wide. Um, you know, he's going to be gunning that ward horse because he's got some explosiveness. He'll probably take out half the field the way he's been running. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But um, the ride of a lifetime, I think is, you know, I like the six furlong uh, pull away 109 in Keeneland. That's some good conditioning. That's to be track conducive to Saratoga. So I would say the six and the, uh, the ride, ride for my life, ride of a lifetime, or the nine, I guess it is, I see them uh, banging heads down the lane and getting there and the, the final strike.
0: You know, you you bring up an interesting point and you can go through and and sort of dissect some of the other running lines. But the fact with a horse like Casadero and you you bring up the sort of finish and and the the lengthening and and sort of putting lengths on the field, you know, I I would encourage folks to go through and, and keep in the back of your mind. We're talking six furlongs that he's exiting a race going three quarters of a mile. Six furlongs ain't that far. And for him over the final eighth of a mile to effectively put more than four lengths on the field yeah. and he potentially could have made that even larger. I, that I
2: believe he could have. When Whenever I see a horse close up into position, a couple of lengths off in the lane and just, just sort of sits with that little regathering momentum and then explode out like anything over three, four lengths like that. I, I think he's got more in him. I, I think he, barring traffic if, if he gets clear uh i like the facts and i'm not nuts about betting people but in this case uh i think asmussen's hot and uh the fact santana jumped you know readily to this uh cazadero of the sixth. uh that's where i'm at I'm, I'm hopefully back with you next week <laughs> as as
0: far as the sort of broader handicapping is concerned and we'll get you out of here on this from a, what sort of style are you? Are you a, a numbers player? Are you a pace player? Are you someone who just kind of puts them all together?
2: I kind It's kind of a, a, a potpourri for me. Sure. Uh, as my aunt would call it, goulash. I, I throw it all in the pot and see what comes out. I try to use all 53 years. You know, I, I reflect back on similar races. And I'm a big believer in horses for courses. And I think jockeys get hot hands as do training. And I look, uh, of course, pace. I know you love pace. Pace is a major factor. Um, we, we saw that in the Whitney, really, uh, Saturday. Uh, but uh, so I'm looking. I'm looking for that, the track inducingness the conditioning, the current form, and uh, trying to get the post position. I mean, it's all. It all goes together. And if I could tick off like six out of ten things and get a price, then that's gambling. That's horse race. I'll take that anytime,
0: Jack, this has been spectacular. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Are you on Twitter at all?
2: I am on Twitter. Uh, I go by Jack Reed Fane, the six-cent man. Uh, I felt like I've never been worthy of being the $6 million man, and I don't (laughs) think I'm ever going to win that in horse racing. (laughs) <laughs> six cents though six cents maybe i'm working on it i'm working on it but i might get to seven cents one of these days so jack? that's my go and uh jrf underscore six on twitter jrf underscore six
0: awesome jack fane thank you so much for hopping on here congratulations on last week and thank like you. you say who knows maybe we're talking again this time next week we, huh? we haven't had
2: a double winner yet have we
0: not well. So here's the thing: we haven't had someone come on multiple times. We have actually, unfortunately, for Andrew Wright, he's just been unlucky as far as the random number generator is concerned because oh. he picked. I think he's picked two or three winners, oh my and he's just been kind of up against it as far as the uh, randomness is Here concerned. You
2: go. So, you go. That but hey, generator, at the top. Uh, it's,
0: it's that Google machine. Yeah, <laughs> it'll get you. It'll get you jack thank you so much for yes, everything sir. again i appreciate you hopping on here good luck this week going forward Thanks. we'll chat again
2: soon we will do it appreciate it so much great show great uh creation of this contest tremendous thank you appreciate it jack okay bye
0: well there you have it look we've we've had some great guests so far for the friday feature but i, I mean if you didn't have fun listening to both peter and jack this afternoon i uh, you know Maybe it's just not for you. I thought that was awesome. I thought they both did a great job. And if you want to be involved and potentially be in the position that these gentlemen were this afternoon, you need to leave your selection for the Friday feature that this week is race number nine, Saratoga Special. Beneath the video player on YouTube, if you're the only winner, I'll contact you. We will make this happen. If you are one of a few, luck of the draw. Andrew Wright. I mean, again, it's been great picking. It's just been crap luck as far as... the random generator is concerned hopefully everything will level out the way that it should the law of averages if you will so again if you want to get involved beneath the video player on youtube questions thoughts concerns as always either in that position or on twitter at bernier underscore matt and again let me know your breeders cup classic top 10 beneath the video player on youtube i will be back next monday with episode 27 of this program until that point Best of luck however you play, whatever you play. And wherever you play, this has been the map Your Show.